Welcome to the Folktale Project. This is Dan Shows. Today we have part three of The Sleeping Beauty in the Wood. And where we left off on Monday, well, Sleeping Beauty had fallen asleep. And so had the rest of the palace and indeed the kingdom itself. And we're waiting for a hundred years to pass. Which, because this is a fairy tale, has passed in the blink of an eye. Or since Monday. And that's where we're going to pick up today in The Sleeping Beauty in the Wood, Part 3. When a hundred years are gone and past, the son of the king then reigning, and who was of another family from that of the sleeping princess, being gone a-hunting on that side of the country, asked, What are those towers which he saw in the middle of a great thick wood? Everyone answered according as they had heard. Some said that is a ruinous old castle haunted by spirits. Others that all the sorcerers and witches of the country kept there their Sabbath or night's meeting. The common opinion was that an ogre lived there, and that he carried thither all the little children he could catch, that he might eat them up at his leisure, without anybody being able to follow him, as having himself only the power to pass through the wood. The prince was at a stand, not knowing what to believe, when a very good countryman spake to him thus. May it please your royal highness, it is now about fifty years since I heard from my father, who heard my grandfather say, that there was then in this castle a princess, the most beautiful was ever seen, that she must sleep there a hundred years and should be waked by a king's son for whom she was reserved. The young prince was all on fire at these words, believing without weighing the matter that he could put an end to this rare adventure, and pushed on by love and honor resolved that moment to look into it. Scarce had he advanced towards the wood when all the great trees, the bushes, the brambles, gave way of themselves to let him pass through. He walked up to the castle, which he saw at the end of a very large avenue which he went into, and what a little surprised him was that he saw none of his people could follow him, because the trees closed again as soon as he had passed through them. However, he did not cease from continuing his way. A young and amorous prince is always valiant. He came into a spacious outward court, where everything he saw might have frozen the most fearless person with horror. There reigned all over a most frightful silence, and the image of death everywhere showed itself and there was nothing to be seen but stretched-out bodies of men and animals all seeming to be dead. He, however, knew very well by the ruby faces and pimpled noses of the beef-eaters that they were only asleep, and their goblets, wherein still remained some drops of wine, showed plainly that they had fell asleep in their cups. He then crossed a court, paved with marble, went up the stairs and came into the guard-chamber, where guards were standing in their ranks with their muskets upon their shoulders and snoring as loud as they could. After that, he went through several rooms full of gentlemen and ladies, all asleep, some standing, others sitting. At last, he came into a chamber, all gilded with gold, where he saw upon a bed the curtains of which were all open the finest sight was ever beheld. A princess, who appeared to be about fifteen or sixteen years of age, and whose bright and, in a manner, resplendent beauty, had somewhat in it divine. He approached with trembling and admiration, and fell down before her upon his knees. And now 
As the enchantment was at an end, the princess awaked, and looking on him with eyes more tender than the first view might seem to admit of, Is it you, my prince? said she to him. You have waited a long while. The prince, charmed with these words, and much more with the manner in which they were spoken, knew not how to show his joy and gratitude. He assured her that he loved her better than he did himself. Their discourse was not well connected. They did weep more than talk. Little eloquence and a great deal of love. He was more at a loss than she, and we need not wonder at it. She had time to think on what to say to him, for it was very probable, though history mentions nothing of it, that the good fairy during so long a sleep had given her very agreeable dreams. In short, they talked four hours together, and yet they said not half of what they had to say. In the meanwhile, all the palace awaked. Everyone thought upon their particular business, and as all of them were not in love, they were ready to die for hunger. The chief lady of honor, being as sharp-set as other folks, grew very impatient and told the princess aloud that supper was served up. The prince helped the princess to rise. She was entirely dressed, and very magnificently, but his royal highness took care not to tell her that she was dressed like his great-grandmother, and had a point-band peeping over a high collar. She looked not a bit less charming and beautiful for all that. And that is part three of The Sleeping Beauty in the Wood, where we see the prince find the princess. And unlike the way that Disney has portrayed it, the prince does not awaken her. She's just awakened, because it's been a hundred years, and that's what the fairies said it would be. We do, however, get confirmation that the rest of the people of the palace were not really in on the decision to go to sleep for a hundred years, and they are all very, very hungry. This is Dan Scholes for The Folktale Project. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, anywhere you like to get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Folktale Project. You can find us on Auto Radio, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere you like to listen. And you can always head over to folktaleproject.com where you'll find a new story waiting for you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. As always, thank you so much for listening.